Welcome to the Cleaning Up Business Podcast. My name's Chris Kilfoyle and I'm going to be your host. In every episode, we're hoping to bring you industry leaders from a wide variety of service sectors, disruptors within their industry and day-to-day entrepreneurs with some business and life lessons for you guys to take away. Let's jump in to today's episode. We're getting right into it here, which is great. I knocked on someone's door and he said, no, I don't want a picture, but do you want a job? I think Bix, to a certain extent, have lost their way. What turns that apple bad? Let's touch on social media. Tell us a little bit about why you go along that route. There isn't anything in the cleaning industry that does what we want to do. If I didn't have a cleaner in Eastbourne, I had to be there at eight o'clock in the morning to do it. That's what I did. So I flicked it up on the screen. I said, what, that? Yeah. And he said, yeah, that's it. I said, that's mine. I I remember thinking at one point, I really don't want to do this anymore. And I think it's probably close as I've ever got to having any sort of breakdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Cleaning Up in Business podcast. Today, I have another special guest with me with over 30 years experience in the soft services field, CEO and principal consultant at Soft Services Solutions for the past five years and chairperson at the Cleaner World Association. I have Adam Cooper-Smith with me, who is nice and local. So Adam, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much. So what we do with all our guests at first is we go all the way back to the beginning before you even got into the soft services field. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and life prior to you getting into the cleaning industry. Okay, I won't give you a complete life story, but uh, (laughs) when I was a teenager, my parents had an organic farm, which um, gives you a little bit of a flavour for where my environmental impact um, interest comes from, because it was, as I say, organic. So um, we had pigs and and various other livestock. We also had grew... um, vegetables and things when had soil association symbol for it uh when my mum got ill they decided enough was enough so um i went into the building industry okay. and for five years i was a hog carrier okay carrying bricks sorry carrying bricks, carrying bricks like muck yeah, yeah, everything anything. um I, I thoroughly enjoyed it i've always enjoyed being fit that kept me really fit yeah um, but it it was also a, a real introduction into being prepared to work hard because I, I was actually working just up the road from here at one point okay. uh, and joined a new team of people. A guy came and spoke to me towards the end of the first week. He said, you need to shape up because we need you to work faster. Right. Uh, I did. Yeah. And I stayed with them for a couple of years. Uh, and I, as I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But well, it's, it's farming hard work. That's hard work as well, right? It is, yeah. And, and I say we kept pigs. Um, I've never been heavy. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I was about 10 and a half stone. So that's about 70, 75 kilos. And I was throwing pigs around that were heavier than me. Wow. There is a technique, but yeah, but it's, it's, it is very, very hard work, very labor intensive. So this time of year, um, you'll be pitching bales of course. and they weigh, you know, 40, 45 pound each. Yeah. Um, later in the year, it's straw, same sort of thing. So yeah, all, all very hard, very manual labor. Um, enjoyed it. I enjoyed the building trade. 88 comes along, Property market crashes. So I then took a job selling door-to-door and was hopeless at it. That's um, interesting. And I'm, I, even to this day, I'm, I'm a hopeless salesman. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's good to, but good to acknowledge that. Acknowledge your, your, your faults. That's right. I, I can support things, but I'm not an out-and-out salesman. Tell us a little bit about that door-to-door piece, because uh, we've had a few people on the podcast that have done door-to-door sales, right. and it, 
I un- my understanding is it is one of the best things for character building in it, terms of, it, you know, understanding rejection and dealing with people. It is. Um, and I, I hated it. I did it because I needed to earn a living. Um, I was selling aerial photographs. So basically a company that I don't think they even exist now um, called Airpick used to go around with an aeroplane, take pictures of various different neighbourhoods, yeah. uh, and then they'd send people like me out knocking on doors saying, "Can you? do you want to buy a photograph? Yeah. And it was all the things you can't do now. <laughs> so you, you would, we would go out and knock on the first door and the, the first sale or well, first knock wasn't to, to sell a picture. It was to find out as much information, find out your name, yeah. find out the name of the person next door. And then you would quote it and say, oh, I've just been talking to Chris next door. He really liked this picture. In fact, you can see the house in yeah. there and look and then build a bit of interest. And so by about the third or fourth house, you were then on the point where you could start interesting people in sales. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I was, again, as I say, I wasn't very good at it, and uh, we got into debt. Um, my best day was when I sold four or five photographs in one afternoon, and that was the only good day I had. Is that an, was that an average? Or was no, that no my no. average was less than one a day. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, it, and it's some of the areas, you know, that particular one was in, a, in place just outside Whitstable, and it's, it, it was an idyllic picture. So it was looking down onto... This, this group of houses that are almost in a clearing in the woods. Oh, yeah. So it looked really nice sure. and, and it was a nice picture to have. Cut through to when you, you're knocking on um, association housing dooring in, in and around places like Sittingbourne, Faversham, places like yeah. You get some quite blue language when you <laughs> knock on people's doors. Yeah. <laughs> it must be a difficult sell, like selling a row of terrace houses, a picture or whatever it may be. It is. And, and, you know, and it's interesting because the one of the doors I knocked on towards the end of what I was doing, um, I knocked on someone's door and he said, no, I don't want a picture, but do you want a job? Yeah. Oh, wow. And that takes us into the cleaning industry because he was the um, the, the area salesman for a company called Contico. And Dijon Marketing, yeah. who were Dijon Marketing used to make a, a range of vacuum cleaners, and they were based in Herne Bay, where okay. we were living at the time. Um, Contico were they produced a lot of cleaning equipment and materials. They still do, don't they? Not Contico now. No. I think I recognise um, the name. That's yeah, why I asked. yeah. The, their range of, of equipment is now sold through Robert Scott. So Got Robert it. Scott bought, bought okay. out that yep. side of, of um, Contico. Okay. Um, the Machinery, it, um, that, that's gone. So then I got into the cleaning industry, uh, and it was purely by chance. Um, and I was running contracts, small contracts for a company called Index Catalog Shops, a bit like Argos, so okay. a, yep. um, part of the Littlewoods Group. Uh, and we also had a um, supply company called Total Supplies Limited, yeah. uh, based in Herne Bay. They're still going, but they've moved over to Thanet. So they they and they're a much bigger organisation now, um, and then one thing or another led to another, and I wanted to make a change to more management rather than supplies, and I moved in and worked for OCS. And, uh, we were talking about it beforehand. Yeah, we both we've um, both had periods that are yeah. very well. Actually, they've just been they've just done a merger, haven't they? Yeah. So um, yeah. one of the biggest. FM companies in the world now, I would, I would I think imagine. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with uh, Atlas Service, haven't they? That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you when you got 
an interesting, and, and this is one of the, 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 the ideal things, you know, people get into the industry so many different ways. So mm-hmm. obviously I've done it sort of as a summer job. My dad was in the industry. You've done it by knocking on doors on someone, seeing something in you and offering you a job. When you went, first went into the industry, was you doing hands-on work, i.e., you know, scrubbing floors, cleaning carpets? I, I did a bit of everything. Yeah. So Total Supplies was the, the umbrella company, if you like, um, and we sold cleaning equipment. I had to learn how it worked. Uh, and at one point, Dennis, the guy that offered me the job, he said, you know more about the stuff I sell than I do. Uh, and, but people would come in and ask questions. And that's where my fascination with cleaning equipment and, and technologies was, was really born because I enjoy all that side of things. Yeah. And when I was working there, I, yes, I was selling that, but I had 16 stores around Southeast, didn't have a cleaner. I had to go and do the cleaning. Do them all yourself. So I was on the tools um, a lot of those stores were brand new stores. So when we opened them up, we were doing the builders clean beforehand. Okay. Uh, and so we were scrubbing the floors, polishing them, um, you know, cleaning everything, carpets and all sorts of things. Yeah. So um, I think the worst thing, one we had was um, barking. We went there to do the, the builders clean. And when we went to the warehouse, we looked on top of the shelving and all the builders rubble was still on the top of the shelving. So that was at about 10 o'clock one morning. Yeah. Store was due to open at nine o'clock the following morning. I didn't get any sleep that night. Yeah. And still, <laughs> and ironically, the builders are still the same now. We, we sort of dip, dip our toe in compulsion instruction cleaning and they still get bits and pieces yeah. like that now yeah. um, where they just you know, yeah. want to get it across the line and quickly chuck it anywhere and go, oh, don't worry about it. The cleaner yeah. will yeah. we'll deal with that. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your journey into the more managerial side of Well, cleaning. from that, I'd, I've, I'd been looking around for a little while and um, – I had a bit of a falling out. They, they took in a partner and I had a bit of a falling out with okay. him. So I thought, right, now's the time to make the break. Uh, and I went and worked for what, what, a company that was then called AIM Hygiene. Um, they're AIM Commercial Cleaning now. Yeah. Um, still going as well, aren't they? They are, yep. Um, and I was an area manager for them, looking after, I had 93 sites around Kent and Sussex, uh, Lloyds Bank, Seaboard Shops, yep. if you remember them. No. They were, they were the electric, electric, yes, electricity board well, you know. shops, yeah, yep. um, and a few banks and things like that, uh, um, building societies, that sort of thing. Yeah. Again, lots and lots of stores, sorry, lots and lots of sites, and I didn't have a cleaner. If I didn't have a cleaner in Eastbourne, I had to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning to do it. Mm. And that's what I did. So th- this is before the days of mobile phones, so... You know, if I needed to be contacted, I had a pager and then I had a pocket full of change <laughs> putting in, in. in the old phone box. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and pager. they actually introduced mobile phones towards the latter end of my stay with them. Yeah. Uh, and they reckoned it saved their administration 30% wow. literally overnight. Yeah. Yeah. So, how, how do you, you mentioned there and you mentioned several times about managing clusters of contracts. Mm-hmm. And we were talking off, off camera before, mm-hmm. before we started about, um, I used to manage what OCS used to call nominal business and they were sort of smaller contracts, you know, with free cleaners and, and the service managers would have lots of volume. How did, how did you, is there a difference between how you would deal with an account like that today versus how you dealt with it back then, i.e. having lots of smaller accounts with potentially a lot more staff to deal with that different needs because every account needs are different. Would you, what's, what would be your approach to managing larger contracts like that where there's multi-sites it wouldn't be so very different so and um, move on a little bit mm. and i worked for lancaster office cleaning um and i was the 
uh, an operations manager for them. So I was looking after a team of 11 service managers yep. and I was on the ground. So if, we, if they needed support, I was out there. And I've, my, my policy has always been, you need to be out there seeing your clients, you need to be out there seeing your staff. If they needed help, they need me, needed me out there. I couldn't be on the end of a phone shouting at them and telling them what, what to do. Yeah. I needed to be demonstrating what I wanted them to do. I think that's, just to jump in there, I think that's such an integral point of what most cleaning companies, especially the bigger guys, miss. Um, we're jumping forward a little bit, but that, that, that's fine. We always revert back. Like you say, you've got to be on the ground working with your team, staff, mm -hmm. customers. And if you're lacking that, the team just end up with what I call tunnel vision, lack of motivation and all that good stuff. Yeah, and it's so. great It's great to hear someone else share that, yeah. that sentiment. I was working for a big organisation three years ago um, in Manchester and, and Liverpool. They had a big contract and they... I wanted to go out and find some information about from some of the staff, and one of them was having a bit of a challenge on a, in a site where there were only about three people there. And I went out to speak and spoke to this per, these people and was just chatting away to them and said, you know, we've never seen our, our manager in three years. We've never seen our manager. Yeah. And I just said, well, and I knew their staff better than they did Yeah, just because I was prepared to get up. Um, I was in Liverpool um, Crown Court seven o'clock in the morning to yeah. make the cleaning staff. Cause I needed to find out what they did sure. so that I could then make recommendations for potential changes of, of the contract equipment that they could use, that sort of thing. Yeah. And they, it, I just find it incredible that people aren't prepared to do, to go out at that time of day. It's not a nine to five job in, in, in our industry. No, You've said that many times. It's, it can be at any time of the day. And if you're not prepared to be out there really, you're not giving the customer what they deserve. Do you think? Do you think bigger companies, and we're we're getting right into it here, which is which is great. Do you think bigger the bigger companies struggle to do that? Because I, I, if I think of my own journey as we grow increasingly bigger, I think it becomes because you're trying to deal with so much, you potentially lose. And when we've had to take a couple of steps back every now and then as our business and say, look, let's not fall into that trap and lose that focus. Do you think that's inevitable with the bigger companies or do you find it's just a case of it depends who the individual is in that management role within the company? I think to a certain extent it's it's about the the, the individual as managers mm. or the individuals, plural, of, as managers because they're so focused on the position yep. and becoming a manager, senior manager, director, that they don't spend enough time learning how to do that, do what they've got to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've I spent the best part of ten years learning that, and you you've probably been around when you've seen people getting cross with their staff and things like that. We learn as you go on that yeah. the best way to talk to people is to encourage them to 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 lead them, uh, and if you've got a problem with them, you do, you talk to them with a calm voice. You don't shout at them. Yeah, not easy to do when someone's in your face shouting at you. No, but, of course. <laughs> yeah, and dealing with staff is is one of the more difficult things because you've got yeah. so many different diverse backgrounds and, and and different people. So you've gone into these multi-site managements. Did you then progress into sort of bigger, you know, like account directors roles and and bigger one-off singular contracts? I've not been account director, mm. but yeah, I've, I've I managed in late nineties. I was managing Canary Wharf Tower. Well, wow. when it was there, yeah. uh, that was the only tower. 
in the in the estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have sprung up since yeah, then. Of course, there's plenty now. Um, and then I've I've managed other uh, and supported other other contracts. Yeah. I'm 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 happiest actually supporting organisations you know, operations. I've I've never really had any ambition to be a director. Yeah. Because I felt that I could contribute more by actually managing the contracts better myself. Yeah. Would you class yourself as maybe by the sounds of it like a bit of a um, what I'd call a contract firefighter? So where you've got a contract that's possibly in distress, maybe not the right management structure in place, you sort of parachuted in with your clearly exceptional operational skills and knowledge to get the right processes in place, get the staff back on side and get everything as it should, as a cleaning contract should be going to be successful. Yeah, thank you for the compliment. Um, yes, and I, actually, what I do now is a continuation of what I've I did before. So, um, I, I suppose an example of that was uh, one late um, January that day. I got a phone call from my um, director to say, "I need you in West Berkshire on Monday. I need you to recover a contract that we've mobilised three months ago, and we're about to lose." Mm. Uh, and I, that's exactly what I did. New, new contract managers started the same day I met him on that day. Uh, and then from there for the next three months, I pulled the contract back round and handed it back over to the, the contract manager. Um, and I continue to do that sort yep. of thing. Uh, and yes, it's, it's one of the things that I enjoy doing is, is being able to effect change. Yeah. But I want to know the people out on the ground when I do it. And that, that's an integral part of it, you, yeah. like, you know, culture of mm-hmm. a contract business. It's a bit of a cliche, but I do think it's super valuable. So from someone that's got so much experience on working on such a diverse range of contracts, for our audience, what, what, would, what are the common issues that you come up with that effectively turn a new contract where they're promised the world, you know, during the sales process, and we discussed that before we started, what turns that apple bad? on a contract from an operational perspective. Uh, the risk and might, shoot- that might be multiple points. Yeah, but- the risk of shooting myself in the foot. <laughs> um, a lot of the time is is trying to scrimp on the mobilisation. Okay. So if you've put in a bid that you're going to buy all new equipment, yep. buy, new, buy equipment, the new equipment, you lose so much. It's not just about um, that you lose the, the respect of your client. But you use, you lose your own credibility. Yeah. If you're going into a contract and you promise the staff all new stuff and everything's sort of be fancy, and then you turn up with old equipment, then they're going to get demoralised. Yeah. Um, things can be very different. I mean, when when we went into COVID and the first lockdown, I was on with working with a big company, and we were on the point of mobilising a contract a week later. Now you know you can't stop a tanker. We no, couldn't stop the mobilisation. Yeah. So we had to go ahead with it. And one of the only ways that we could make sure that it carried on was use the old equipment that was on site. Subsequently, they bought new equipment in, but it was a while later. But there was a reason for that. But if you're going, if if you're starting a new contract, yeah, by all means, say we're going to put this big fancy scrubber dryer in, but then go back to the client and say, actually, it's not fit for purpose. We're going to put a slightly smaller one in because it's more versatile. Yeah. So um, I, I mentioned that I worked at Selfridges and I was always getting machine suppliers coming to me. Um, and the, the setup there was I was managing the contractors. So they were coming to me to try and sell me big scrubber dryers and things like that because it's huge open expanses yeah. of hard flooring. This would be fantastic. Increase, increase your productivity. And they were really surprised when I said no. Why? I said, because I've got millions of pounds worth of stock out there. And if one of those machines goes into that, that's a whole rail of stock yeah, ruined. Sure. 
you know, you think a dress can be anything from 500 to a thousand pounds or more. Mm. Um, if, if you've got a rail of those dresses, then you, you write it off. There goes your contract profit for the year. Exactly. So you're better off using manual techniques and things like that. It, and hard flooring is easy to keep clean yep. as long as you keep it clean. Sure. So, yeah. So number one is obviously do what you're going to say, yep. what you say you're going to do or you did or say you're going to deliver. And it's interesting because obviously you, you will know, you know, during a sales process, you're capexing those costs anyway. So you know that you've got a big capital spend out in the first instant. So it's all attributed for in the cost, isn't it? And, but do you think that's a, a money saving mechanism? They're just trying to, I, I think it costs? is, it, it's people scrimping and saving. And, and it, again, uh, my view is it, it's short-term accounting, mm. so that they're they're thinking about their the costs for the current year or the current three months or something like yeah. that. When you capitalise something like that, you lay it off over three years. Mm-hmm. So you're going your first year, you're going to have a deficit. Yeah. But subsequent years, you're going to make that saving on. You're still going to be charging the client for it. Yeah. If you if you've um, got a three-year contract, you reckon to write it off over three years. If you then get a two-year extension. You're still going to charge for it, but you won't need to buy it. Yeah. And that's where the benefits That's come where in. the money comes in. So do what you say you're going to do. Any other uh, advice that you come across regularly? Um, what about staff morale? How do you keep that and make sure that's up? It, it's a difficult one, and that's where we come back to being on site. So, you, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Go out and see people. If it's your, if you're getting um, people to support with a, a big troopy transfer, um, I, I mentioned the, the um, contract um, that I was working on that we mobilised, we transferred 1,200 people into a company. It's into, a big, that is a big chippy consultation. So even with the the fact that we couldn't get out there for the last week, prior to that, we were all out there visiting the, the, the staff, physically signing them up ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes me on to another thing. I think now the technology is there to be able to um, do so much more of that work with tablets, with sending people links so that they can fill in documents and upload them themselves yep. without having to go out and see them. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and see them. Sure. It just speeds up that process of doing all that back office work that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do as yeah. quickly. I remember when I first started with OCS and I done my first in my first project management role, we'd done a big tubey consultation. It wasn't thousands, it was a hundred I think it was around a hundred employees. But they used to have a manual signing on form and there used to be a white copy, red copy, blue copy underneath. And they used to give one to the employee. We would keep one and it was a nightmare. But it was good because you used to sit manage to sit down with a, a new member of staff for 10, 15 minutes, run through, have a chat with them. And like you say, do you think technology is, we're at the risk of losing that? I'm thinking, so big FM company, got thousands of staff to tube you over. Right, okay, what we'll do, we'll just email this out and we won't bother going to see them. Do you think that's a risk with technology? I think it is, but I, I mobilised a contract last year uh, and they had their technology sorted out. Okay. So they would send a link to the, to the staff, but I'd still go and meet them. Yeah. And I, there were some people who, technophobes, they don't, or they didn't have the technology to do it. There was one woman uh, who I sat down with. And I said, look, I'll, I'll log in as you. And you have to be very careful with this because you can be coercive if you're, if you're doing it for them. So yep. you need their permission to do it. Sure. And you need to ask them, if is that, are you happy with this? And can I press the enter button and things like that? And she didn't even have an email address. Oh, wow. So I said, well, we can set you one up, Gmail. Um, and that's what we did. And yep. she when, when I said, you put your your own um, password in there. So hand the computer over to her. 
make a note of that so because you're going to need that because I don't want to know it. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to have the integrity to do that as well. Um, and then she was employed. Yeah. You know, the beauty of that particular system was, I think it was done on Google Forms. You could actually upload the, the ID documents into the form as well. As well. So they, and then when you press the submit button, they automatically got a copy of what they'd submitted by and as a PDF by email. They've got it all there, ready to go. Yeah, yeah it, do, it does help. I just wonder, you know, as we get increasingly busy as businesses, we might use technology. And we'll come on to technology a little bit later mm. on. This is wider, wider sense. But can, I wonder if companies can go along that line of, oh, we're ultra busy. We'll just send it out and just get them to fill the forms. And then you don't have that personal touch point, which is definitely a negative in our industry. I, I believe so. And I, and I th- think that that's where the integrity of the individual managers comes in mm. because they've got to have that personal interest yeah. in their staff they if you you can avoid going out and seeing the staff but for, what's the point yeah you 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 don't build the relationship with them if you if you were working for me and i saw you on a regular basis you would feel much more inclined to stay and work for me if someone offered you another job yeah and they were unsure about the company the rumors abound in the industry that certain companies are better to work for than others uh, if they've got a good relationship with you, they're not going to let you down. No. If you've never seen them, they're going to say, see, you see ya, I can get 50p more an hour. Yeah, and I think from my personal experience, some of the, and I've been fortunate enough to work with very well-known known names in the industry, the best managers that I've seen, they have this unique capability to be able to literally build rapport with cleaning staff. And, you know, I, I can think of one person in particular um, who I've worked with, this man was absolutely fantastic in terms of dealing with cleaning staff, talking to them, making them feel so at ease. But I've seen him on presentations for multi, multi-million pound contracts and they literally knock it out of the park. And I think that's such a unique and ever-growing missing skill set in the mm-hmm. industry, the ability to, and maybe the desire to want to go out. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm the same belief as you, because maybe because I've been brought up by a dad who's nearly 70, you know, he's been in the industry and he's a little bit more of an old school operator. And he's like, look, you need to be out seeing your staff. It's not a nine to five job, like you said earlier. You know, the cleaning's done in the early morning or it's done in the evening. Okay, you'll have bigger contracts that have cleaners during the day, but you need to be out and about seeing your staff. And I think that's a missing skill set. I, I, I think it is. An, I'm always reminded of something someone told me years and years ago about an American CEO uh, and there's a guy sweeping the car park um, in a big organisation. And he walked in, he said, morning, George. And they had a chat. And it's just that same thing. Know your staff. Yeah. You can't possibly know everyone. No, of course. They will all know you yeah. because you're one individual. There might be 50, 60, 200 people. Um, so you can't possibly know them all individually, but you can know their faces. You can know them and, and talk to them. When you have an engagement with them for whatever reason, you get to know their name, they get to know them a little bit better. Um, one thing that always embarrasses me is people calling me Mr. Adam. <laughs> Because and it's a cultural thing, I understand sure. that. Yeah. But my name's Adam. Yeah, it's as simple as that. You know? Yeah, you don't need to be like, be like that. But it's very difficult for some of the cultures to say to, to actually acknowledge that. Yeah, and they still do it. No, it's the way it's the way they go, isn't it? But I say by being with them, you get to understand the nuances of different cultures and and how people work, and then you can work with them. And they say you know, become more of a team rather than them and us, like you see on a badly run contract, in my view. And that only bolsters you as a manager because when you need that little bit of extra help, you know you can go to people and they're more inclined to to say yes to you. 
again, going, going back to, to Selfridges, um, very, very shortly after I joined there, we, we used to have evening events. And yeah. So the, the store would be closed and then they'd have a section of it that would be open for a private event. Uh, and this was in the um, ladies' um, high-level high, high um, brands, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the very, very shiny floor in there. Sure. Uh, and I, I was with one of the supervisors and he said, um, I said, look, yeah, I need you to quickly buff this floor. And he was buffing it slowly. And I said, no, give me the machine. And I just skimmed over it and said, yeah. that, that's what I mean. Uh, okay. But it registers. Adam knows how to use a buffing machine. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an eye in itself for anybody that hasn't used a buffing yeah. machine. Well, before. Actually, there's, there's another story about that <laughs> because the same guy that employed me into the industry yeah talked me through using one the first time I used it. Okay. He, he had, he couldn't be there. How did you get on? I was actually, was the, was the wall still intact? Oh, they were still intact, but I was very nervous. Yeah. Um, but he said to me the same thing that I tell every single person that I teach to use a buffer machine. If you get in trouble, let go. Yeah. Don't hold on to it spinning round. That's probably yeah. not the best yeah. idea. I've seen, <laughs> I have seen some epic failures when it comes to buffing machines in particular. Yeah. Um, no. So, You've obviously, again, got a vast amount of experience and worked with some fantastic projects. Is there a particular project that you can recall and maybe tell us about that really stands out within your career? Um, you know, one that you think back to, um, mine would be working on the mobilisation of the um, the NEC contract for mm-hmm. OCS, you know, one of the biggest contracts I've ever had, hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, and winning that bid and doing the mobilisation, that one stands out for me. In your career, is there one particular project that you could tell us about that really stands out that you enjoyed being part of or you always look back fondly on? There is, but it's for an odd reason. Go for because, it. Because, um, like. like I said, the, the, the one that I mobilised at the beginning of, of COVID, um, it was with HM Courts and Tribunal Services uh, for 380-ish sites uh, nationwide. Courts? Courtrooms and... Courtrooms, yep. ma- um, magistrates' courts, yep. uh, some of the... Um, tribunal offices and things like that, which were all closed for, during the the um, the pandemic, but the courts had to stay open, particularly the magistrates' courts, because if someone committed an offence, they have to go to a magistrates' court to be reminded in custody or yep. put out on bail. Mm. So we had to keep some of those live, but which meant there had to be people in all the buildings. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges I had was literally the day after we went into lockdown. Um, Adam, I need you to import some hand sanitizer from South Africa. Um, here's all the details, get on with it sort of thing. Um, as it happened, the day that it was due to be flown into this country, South Africa went into lockdown. Mm. So then it was a case of finding some more. Eventually we brought it in from um, Vietnam. Wow. Okay. Uh, and we, but we got some. But the, the next bit was how to distribute it to 380 sites, with 400 people all saying, I need this much. Yep. And I created a spreadsheet, quite a busy spreadsheet, okay, that I had to break it down initially by area, region, area, building, and then whereabouts, and then break it back into the areas so that I could then put it line by line yep. for what for the person that was going to be ordering. But then you can imagine they all wanted to put in there, I need 10 50-milliliter bottles, I need five five-liter bottles. So then I had to do it by size and I had to lock it down so they could only put a number in it Yeah. because otherwise the formulas didn't work. Sure. 
So it took me about three days to create this thing. And then we put it into a Teams channel mm-hmm. and circulated it to all the, all the people. Yeah. Uh, and I created a, a short video um, to explain what they needed to do. And after about two or three weeks, it settled down. Yeah. And what we would do is put, put a, a new sheet up on a Friday, take it down the following Thursday, and deliveries would be made from the following Monday. From from Vietnam? No. HMCTS managed to get a supply of stuff which we stored in Telford right. and we distributed it from there. Yeah. So all of that was, and that was just for hand sanitizer and a, a bit of um, protective equipment. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, things expanded into other lines as well. Um, so it moved then on to signage. So I created a very similar spreadsheet to do the same thing because that meant that I then needed to negotiate with the powers that be within NG it was at the time yep. and the supplier to make sure that I got an order into the supplier, but it was signed off by the people at the top. Mm. And they put sense checks in there sure. as well, which slowed some of it down. Yeah. So. But it all got sorted out when I... Finished up on that contract four months later. They, I handed it over to someone in HMCTS, and I think they still used it. And now them. someone else is probably taking the glory, saying, oh, well, I created yeah. this spreadsheet. <laughs> it, it, was, it was actually funny because we did have a team meeting when we could meet up. Sure. And um, the director of the, the contract said uh, said something about the, the senior, like the FM director of, of HMCTS. Oh, he's got this really fancy chart, chart yeah. and thing, and it's a dashboard that I created. So I flicked it up on the screen. I said, what, that? Yeah. And he said, yeah, that's it. I said, that's mine. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds, it sounds <laughs> technical for, I mean, struggling to create for me, even me creating it for 50, 60 clients, let alone 380 sites. Um, on the reverse of that, obviously, we, everyone talks about wins and you know, plus sides of the industry, which there are many of. Is there a particular time within your career and the industry specifically that you look back on? And most people tend to reach for COVID in this example. Mm. So I'll try and avoid that if you can, yeah. but I understand if that's because that's the most recent and everyone's still horrified by that. But is there a particular time or negative side of the industry that you you think back on and think, oh, I'd really like to change that or you know, a particular issue that you've had within your journey that you can tell us about? Um, I think from, on a personal note, the, the, when I was managing those 93 sites, mm. it was very, very demanding. And I think it's probably as close as I've ever got to being, to having any sort of breakdown because I was under so much pressure running around everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember, you know, thinking at one point, I really can't, don't want to do this anymore. Um, so, which is one of the reasons why I, I moved to OCS. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, I, I think that a lot of it, is, it, it just needs more people to be more interested. Yeah. It seems it's a bit of an odd link to it, but I, I think one of the frustrations for me is there are people out there that should know technology and know, know the benefits of the equipment they're using. So things as simple as a microfiber cloth. Yeah. Everyone makes a big thing about using microfiber cloths, but do they launder them? Do they use them as a disposable item when they could make use the benefit of laundering them up to 300, 500 times, depending on the brand of cloth, yep. and get the benefit, and there we come to an economy. Yep. But a lot of companies, they buy in 30 to 50 cloths every month, they exchange them out and they throw the old ones away when they don't need to. No. 
and it frustrates me that people don't understand the simple technologies of, of operating we, a thing. We launder our cloths, to be yeah. fair. Actually, I just took a, a washing machine, take them downstairs to go to a new contract. No, we, we do that. Um, yeah, and it baffles me how cleaning companies, some cleaning companies don't do that. It must literally cost yeah. them a fortune. You mentioned about sort of overworking. And I think well, I remember back into my early days within the industry, and I think I got caught up in this. It was a little bit of, um, how can I put this? Um, little bit of a big measuring competition in terms of, well, who can work the latest? Well, I've done these hours. I've been out since this. And it, did, did you fall into that trap? Was you just work, when you say it was too much, is it just simply because you like being on the ground with your teams, you're out in the morning, then you're doing all them bits and pieces you need to do, paperwork, et cetera, in the day, and then you're back out in the evening. And before you know it, it's quite easy to fall in the trap of doing 12, 14-hour days every um, day. I don't think I got into a a uh, competition no, no, I'll get because, you, but... because there weren't that it wasn't that big an organization yeah but we it was the ethos of the of the company um the um md who's now now retired but um he was out on the ground all and and it, so the expectation was that we all would be yeah uh and it was just the volume yeah if you i i've not come across anyone with as many sites as spread as they were. So yeah. I, you know, that I was traveling down to Brighton uh, and everything up to the um, M25 and round to Dartford and then east of that was mine. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it, it started to creep into London. So I had places in, in, in Dartford and Bromley and places like that. So it, it was just the volume that was so hard and the expectation that you'd be able to manage it all. Yeah, so well, it's, imp- it's impossible, isn't it? If, if people ask me what I think is a, an optimum number for a, a, a service manager to have or an area manager, I'd say thirty to thirty-five contracts. Okay, that's usual. Not double that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've seen and experienced service managers that have got a hundred plus. Yeah, and like you say, one, you've got two options that happen there. One, either you run the manager into the ground, which then they become despondent and leave mm-hmm. and, or they have a breakdown, worst case, which mm-hmm. is what no one wants. The second one is they're a little bit blase with their staff because they can't get around there and effectively they don't manage the contracts anyway because they know there's too much volume so they think, why should I bother? Mm-hmm. And you don't want either of those, do you? Yeah. How did you How did you get back from that? How did you recover? Did you just go, look, I'm going to move on to something else? And- um, I did eventually, but I, it was really just a, a case of trying to manage my time a little bit better. Um, and I, I would, as you, you said, I, I would go out first thing in the morning if I was going somewhere like Brighton and I'd work my way back around the coast uh, and I made it a policy to visit all of my clients once a month. Yeah. So I would visit up till about lunchtime when I go home and be back out in the evening to see the staff. Yeah. Um, there, were, there was one guy that I never met, never got to meet right. in, in that time, but we spoke regularly and yeah. he helped me out in a local contract a couple of times. And that was just simply that we could never match up timings because yeah, he worked some odd, some odd hours. And I didn't really want to be in Rye at 10 o'clock at night. No, no, <laughs> no one wants to be even out at 10 o'clock unless you're in the pub, of course. Yeah. Um, so you obviously work, and it sounds like you've worked in a diverse ra- range of contracts in terms of you know the sector and, mm-hmm. and things like that. How do you refine your approach dependent on the sector? Or do you find that the staple that you've built your career on, obviously, you know, that good man management, dealing with staff, actually being present, doing what you say you're going to do, do you think that's applicable no matter what the industry is, no matter what the service sector? As long as you've got them good fundamentals in place, you'll do well. I think so, yeah. Um, it's, I think we've all got a, a nucleus of how, how we work. Yeah. And that, that's 
that's mine. Um, but then you go from that to to bringing in the, the unexpected and, and things like that. The example is that distribution for, for Engie. Yeah. Um, no one expected that to happen. No, of so course. You, you, there's always the unforeseen. But I think that the 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 important thing is is for, for to have that nucleus that you can work from, and it's I, I use the same principle virtually wherever I go where I'm working at the moment, which I'll say no more about than that. But I know most of the staff because I've been there. I talk to them. I walk around the site. I speak to them if I want to find something out. I do phone people up to ask them if it's just a single question. But one of the things that we all do if we're stuck in an office is spend too much time in front of a computer. Yeah. And we need to get up and wander around. So I take the opportunity to go and talk to someone. Yeah. And it builds that relationship. And I can talk to the staff and find out what their frustrations are. Mm-hmm. I've got this fantastic idea. We're going to do this. And they say, but it won't work. Yeah. Well, why won't it work? All right. Okay. Let's rethink it and we'll have another version of it. Uh, and then see how that works. Yeah. I think nine times out of 10 as well, the staff on the ground, they're probably be- the most best suited in terms of, you know, operational now, so of what can and couldn't be implemented. I mean, don't get me wrong, people are averse to change. People don't like change. So mm-hmm. sometimes there's solutions that do work yeah. um, and they just need a little bit of nudging along. But like you say, building those relationships with staff on the ground, maybe you get some of your good ideas from, from those people. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. There, there are people who are quite stuck in the ways, mm-hmm. um, but then that's the case of taking them along the journey, demonstrates them how what you're suggesting is going to be beneficial yep. to them. So example of that might be um, backpack vacuums, yep. battery-powered ones. Can't use one of them. It makes my back ache. Okay. So where I'm working now, there's a, a supervisor who's quite short and very slight, and she was asking about how to use... Backpack I said, well, you're going to get excu- lots of excuses. She said, yeah, but I want to know. Okay. So I taught her how to use a backpack vacuum. Uh, and as I say, she, she's very slight, put it on, did it up tight. Um, and she said, oh, you know, this is quite comfortable. Yeah. So I said, I'm going to use you now because you're an example to all the people that say they can't do it because mm-hmm. they're going to make their back ache. Especially those big, tall, burly men. And they've got a small woman going around with a backpack vacuum. <laughs> go, you've got no excuse now, have you? Exactly. Um, yeah. No, that, that, that makes perfect sense. We mentioned, we've mentioned on a few occasions, and I know you're a big advocate for technology yeah. in the industry. Elaborate on that a little bit. Where do you find that as an industry we fall down or there's a lack of technology and how can we utilize that better, especially in an operational capacity, um, you know, within the business? Give me some ideas around that. Right. Um, I think that there's a serious lack of real innovative technology. Would totally agree. And I don't want to upset manufacturers. No, let's upset them. It makes it interesting viewing. I I think they need to up their game. Agree. So one of the big things that everyone, a lot of people are talking about is robotized cleaning machinery. And and now we're talking. (laughs) And, what I saw when I went to the cleaning show was a lot of existing machinery yep. that had been tweaked to put robots on. Yep. There were very few machines that had been built from the ground upwards to be a robot cleaning machine. Yep. Uh, and there are machines out there. We've got one on, on trial at the moment, uh, and it's a fantastic bit of kit. But there's, there's a payback on that. And... One of the things that we're all struggling with is staffing, getting enough people in. Uh, for whatever reason, we won't get into that, but the 
my approach is not that you put in a robot machine to get rid of staff. My approach is that you put in a robot machine to replace the staff that you can't get in. Yep. But this particular machine, you can set it to go and it will trundle up and down a corridor and clean it. Uh, and we, we've set it to, we've mapped it for various different areas. Uh, and about a month ago, we put it in the main entrance of where we're working, which is a big expansive area. Uh, and I came in on the Monday morning and the floor was shining and it had only been run over by this machine with water and a red pad. Yeah. And, and that's where the benefits come sure. with that, that sort of technology. Some of it is things like um, wall cleaning mops. So um, I always mention VCAN because it's the one that comes to mind, but most other manufacturers make this, a similar sort of thing. It's a wall mop that has a, an extendable pole, so you can then clean from the ground to the ceiling without having to use access equipment. Yep. You can extend that to all sorts of other brands of equipment that go up even higher. Um, when I was working, the first um, project that I did as a consultant, I was working with OCS and they were mobilising the Met Office down in Exeter. And in their main central route, um, like, almost like a street, they've got a natural stream that runs through it. Okay. But the flooring in it is made of a slate, which is it's not non-weight bearing, so you can't put any access equipment on it. Uh, and the, the ceiling is twelve meters high. Right. So how do you how are you going to clean all the glass going up the building? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it hadn't been done. And I got a manufacturer to come in, and we met, and we came up with a way that they would be able to access all of it using long reach poles. You've probably seen Grant Phillips's stuff with the I have, yep. the, the sky vac, similar sorts of things. But you, it's not all about that big bulky 38 millimeter tubing. You can get. I mean, he's a man mountain grant, isn't he? Well, so it's quite easy is. for him to chuck that around at 100 foot yeah, in the air. Exactly. But we um, we mentioned the backpacks, 32 millimeter with a, a five meter wand on it, quite manageable for most people. Yep. When you get sort of, you, you got it in a more horizontal position, then you're going to struggle with it. But all the while you're keeping it upright and keep balanced, mm. then you're okay. So from that, we worked out that they could access virtually everything and clean some of the areas that had never been cleaned. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as I know, it's, 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 okay. I, I, I moved on from the contract then, but um, yeah, as far as I'm aware, that you, goes you mentioned about like, lack of innovation. I generally, and I struggle with this, I still, I cannot think of anything truly n new in its for whatever you want to call it that has come on the market since I've been in there. I mean, I can remember robotics being about when I was first uh, working for OCS at Gatwick Airport and things like mm -hmm. that. And don't get me wrong, the costs have come down slightly and, you know, they're a little bit more, um, what I would call PR friendly. You know, they sing, they talk to customers and things like that, all, the, all that good stuff. Um, but like backpack vacuums, that's another good one. Okay, they've gone along the lines of battery, but I remember when I was working uh, for OCS again, um, they had battery backpacks then. And like you say, I think this re lacking real innovation within the space I, th I think you're right i mean there are, so are some things you're never going to get away from you need something to pick up dirt yeah. and stuff like that vacuum cleaner is, is the best way of doing it mm -hmm. um and use saying things like the backpack and the long reach poles you still get people using flick dusters and yeah. long reach dusters and things like that well if you get a really dusty area and grant loves this you, you you get a really dusty area you flick it around and it all goes into the atmosphere yeah use the vacuum cleaner it goes straight into yeah, vacuum right. And so just by fitting the right attachment to a vacuum cleaner, you can save yourself extra work. Yeah. And so, some of it is just being 
sensible yeah. in my view, you know, but then I'm very logical. So <laughs> common sense is, a, is a, <laughs> Well, is common a sense isn't, is it? <laughs> so, um, so it sounds like, you know, having a good relationship with suppliers yeah. you know, and dealing with problems together and utilising what tools we have at our disposal. My view on the, um, the robot, the, you know, robotics is very similar to yours. I think if you've got a big contract with vast amounts of hard floor, then, you know, that, that, the capex cost makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for PR if you've got public-facing spaces as well. Um, and I think from some of our visits we've done with suppliers, they are to be used in co, you know, working alongside cleaning operatives. So yeah. effectively, if they're yeah. doing the floor, the cleaning operator is not to be replaced, but they can then utilise their time doing yeah. the high-level work we just spoke about. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Was you impressed with them at the cleaning show, some of the robots that were there? Some and some. Yeah. Um, the the one that we've got where I am, um, it's a, it's one of the more advanced okay. ones, uh, and the background, the, the back office information that you get from it is good. So it, one of the things that that you might have is that you might need to stop the machine, or someone might need to stop the machine, and they won't necessarily know how to restart it. Yeah. But this is all set up so that the supervisor can be informed, and they can just pick it up on the phone and restart it. Okay. So there's that sort of technology mm. that that helps. Something else, not the same technology, but different technology, movement sensors and room sensors and things like that. And yep. that seems to be the buzz thing at the moment. Everyone is putting that into bids. But is I question whether it is actually going to be beneficial. So is this like a sensor that would say, right, we've had 15 people come into this room now, you've got, it's got to be cleaned? That sort of thing. But if So in certain environments, yep, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. If, if you've got a busy, a busy office complex, busy washroom facilities, then absolutely. If you've got somewhere like I worked on something last year and they've got meeting rooms, but they're only used two or three times a day, what's the point? Yeah, totally agree. You know, but if you've got people in and out all the time, then you need to be able to count that. Um, if you've got busy washroom facilities and you you need to be able to have a tablet linked to those systems so that the operative can be told when it's running out of toilet tissue or needs hand soap changed, the, the, the converse of that, of course, is that when you get to the point where you've got a, a, a facility that's not used very frequently, you can reduce the So you're not going there four, five, six times a day. You're going there once or twice yeah. a day. Busy areas, you might need to increase yeah. what you're doing. But most of these systems are designed so that you've got sufficient stock that you don't need to increase it. Yeah. And again, you know, that's a good use of technology and a smart way of, mm. of operating you know, especially on larger scale cleaning operations, isn't it? Yeah, I think, as I say, you've got to have key relationship suppliers and, and utilise them at the end of the day, get them in rather than, you know, trying to trundle along on your own, Yeah. And, you know, come up with these things. There's people that are, and technology is available, like you've alluded to, yeah. that we should be using more of within the industry. Yeah, that, that um, re- reminds me, one of my pet hates is commercial agreements. Okay. Uh, because I think it, it hampers the operation. I, pre- I understand the, the economics of it, but it actually can stop being able to use innovation. So just for the the for lame, the layman out there, so we're, what we're talking about is a commercial agreement where we say, right, we're going to clean this desk three times a, a week or whatever it may be on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Is that, is that what you're No, that's that scheduling. Yep. No, a commercial agreement is where a big organisation will have an agreement with a supplier okay, yep. that they will buy only their products. And for that, they get... I'll rate, be perfectly blunt. Kickback. It's a kickback. It's a it's a bribe. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's not beat around the bush. Sure. But by doing that, they are going for the the lowest 
denominator. Yeah. So you're going to go for a low price, you're going to get a re- return on your spend, but you're not going to benefit from all the, the alternative technologies. It yeah, comes into the market quite yeah. regularly. And the, the companies that, that win those sorts of contracts tend not to have the versatility to be able to supply you what you want. Yeah. Or they are writ- the contracts are written in such a way that if you creep a little bit outside of that, there's no room for scope uh, yeah. for, for creep. You get hit with get a very, very high charge for whatever yeah. you're doing. Yeah. No, say, you, it makes no sense to limit your market at the end no. of the day, does it? Because there are so many different suppliers out there. I mean, we you, you know we don't have one sole supplier that we use. We have a handful just in case. Okay, we use some more than others. Um, but you want access to that whole market because if someone does come along with a really good product, you want to be able to get that in yeah. front of your customers and stuff. Um you probably get on to Cleaner World Association, but Joe, who's the founder one. of it, mm-hmm. um, he sells a range of products and he can't get into some of the business-to-business market because they all use the big suppliers and they're tied into commercial agreements. Yeah. So he, he he struggles with that. But very much that they, they won't even entertain people like him. Yeah that are trying to sell a more environmentally sound product because they're all going around the circle of environmentalism uh, and and carbon saving and all that sort of thing, yeah. which is another thing that you really well, don't want to get me on. Right. <laughs> well, on that point, we are going to go on to that. So the Cleaner World Association, I've seen you and Joe um, on, on LinkedIn. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. What is it? Well, basically, um, Joe set it up a, a little while ago. Uh, and if I take it back a little bit, he does sell a range of products that are um, – mineral based yep. and they're in uh, compostable packaging. Okay. Uh, some of it is just commercially compostable. Some of it will compost in your garden compost bin. But the, the beauty of that, and, and this is where people get confused, it's compostable, not biodegradable. Right. All right. Do you know the difference? I don't actually know. Right. Okay. We're going to learn so, something. <laughs> so compostable means it will break down into its, it's element parts, yep. particles. So if it's a paper thing, it will break down into paper fibers and the um, the bonding agent will break down into its element parts. Biodegradable is generally a plastic-based um, cloth or something like that, so like a floss or, yep. or something, with a bonding agent. Now, it's a bonding agent that's biodegradable. It's not the product. Oh, okay. Whereas with a compostable product, the whole thing breaks down into natural elements. Okay. Uh, and that's very much... As I say, it comes back to my roots of being on the organic farm. Yeah. So Joe set this up um, just before we went into to COVID. Um, we've got a real passion to try and do something about all sorts of things, environment. If you if you follow Joe, you'll see posts about the sewage that gets bumped into the seas. Um, we both suffer from that because we're both sea swimmers. Yep. Um, I have dealings with that as well because obviously my other vested interest is I have a drainage company and uh, I deal with the local water company. I won't put them there for litigious reasons, but you know I deal with them all the time. And it's ironic really because if one of my tankers goes to the disposal site that's literally down the road from where we are now, if they spill sewage on the floor, they'll find you, mm-hmm. literally. And then they take the sewage that I give them <laughs> and pump it into the sea or the rivers or wherever. Incredible, so, isn't it? Yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah, so um, there are things like that. Um, the, the plastics is another big one. Uh, and the, the project I'm working on at the moment has forestalled some of what, what, what we were doing, but we've, we've developed a carbon calculator okay. so that you can take a product, so a bottle of water, yep. and you can say, right, how much does it weigh? 
what is the carbon footprint of that bottle of water going from your distributor yep. to your site? Got it. How much plastic does it produce? Mm. And it, it gives you that, uh, the carbon output of that. Okay. Uh, and that's evolved so that we've, we've got to the point now where we're looking at even more um, data that we can produce from a very simple calculation, uh, and we need to, to develop that. Uh, and he, he's the, the product that, that Joe is, um, is selling won't get into it, but there's, there's been a little bit of a hiccup, but he's going to be start, start to, um, producing it himself very shortly okay. so that he continues to supply with, to provide to his suppliers. Yeah. But the, he, he's working with a, a company called EcoVibe, yeah. uh, and they've got a, a thing called Plastic Punk, which is about they're, they're creating a plastic offset scheme. Right. So a little bit of sales stuff for them, um, but for the Cleaner World Association, it's all about what we can do for the cleaning industry. Okay. Because – there isn't anything in the cleaning industry that does what we want to do. One of our associates is in the hospitality industry and the hotel industry itself have carbon credits that you, so if you were an employee of OCS and you needed to stay away for the night, you'd probably get a carbon credit and you've got to get your carbon spend down as low as possible by staying in a particular hotel. Right. Um, and we're looking and, for, for that at how we can drill down to how an individual room create, how much carbon is created from an individual room or from uh, an events, um, you know, meeting room yeah. or something like that. So as I say, it's, it's put, taking a bit of a, a setback at the moment because we all need to earn a living. Of course. Um, but this is the sort of thing that we're looking at to, right. to promote um, for the, for the future. So effectively the, the, we're looking, the Cleaner World Association is looking to just basically reduce our carbon impact within our own, our industry. Not just carbon, mm. you know, um, petrochemicals. Yep. We've mentioned microfiber plus yep. microfiber mops. If you launder them, then you're not you've not got that carbon footprint of the delivery and yep. of everything of new new coming not in on a monthly it's, basis. Yeah, they, but there's still the the your own output. Yeah, of course. And we're calculating that into the delivery. So if you self deliver, if so had stuff delivered here we calculate the difference between here and where you, when you take okay. it to site. Yeah. Um, it's very high level at the moment, but then what we want to be able to do is to offer individual companies a real breakdown for their, their company. You, you can't do it automatically for because there are such a range of products yeah. that you need, you know, even a bottle will have different weights in plastic. So you need to, we need to go down to that level, different packaging okay. amounts and things like that. But if you just as an example, if you're using liquefied products, then they're probably eighty to ninety percent water. Yep. So if you take the water element out of it and you've got a powder product, your carbon footprint drops massively. It's as sim- simple as that. Yeah. So it it's all of those things, uh, and the the next phase would be things like the um, the carbon output of paper products. What the most beneficial paper products are. Um, there are some bamboo-based products, but they can potentially cause problems with drainage. You probably come across that. Yeah, occasionally. Um, but then tissue paper should actually dissolve right down. in water. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, that's just the length of the fibres that, that cause that problem. Yeah. So. What we'll do, we'll put a link down in the description um, to the Cleaner World Association so that our audience can go and check that out. That's for sure. Let's touch on social media. 
Okay. Interestingly enough, and everyone knows this is a subject I'm pretty passionate around because everyone sees my face on social media all the time. Interestingly enough, Adam, I'm going to take my hat off to him now because Adam does very, very well with his social media output in my eyes, updating us on yourself personally, which builds up, you know, um, connections with the audience and you and a little bit about you, but, you know, spreading the word about the industry a little bit more. What made you get into that? What, to tell me a little bit why you went down that road, because it is unusual in our industry. So congratulations um, for doing that. And um, Tell us a little bit about why you go along that route. Well, when I left Selfridges, yeah. I had a spell um, being self-employed. Again, couldn't sell myself, wasn't very good at it. Um, and I did a lot of localised networking. And I met a guy called Simon Jordan, who sadly passed away last year. But he always said that, what we've got as smaller entrepreneurs is the ability to be able to give people a bit of a backstory about ourselves and tell people, people are interested in a story. Yep. So when I'm writing, I would try and write a story. If I'm doing a bid, it will be to try and think about the reader so that they're more engaged yep. than just the technical stuff that everyone rolls Usually, out. Yeah. Copy um, and, and so, and the same thing applies with, with that. It's really to, give people an interest. And I've been very quiet recently because I need to be, but the only opportunity I've got is to put stuff up like that I do. So swimming, running, cycling, I did triathlon last year. Um, first one I'd done, I was disappointed with everything. Um, so I'm doing the same one again this year in a few weeks time. Uh, and I've done some training. So one of the things I've majored on is the journey that I've done through that. Yep. So I, I, I've swum for 50 years wrong. <laughs> so I went and took lessons and the difference in my technique and style has improved my pace, my effort or reduced my effort, yep. uh, made me far more fluent swimmer. I'm still not brilliant, yeah. but I'm better than I was. Um, same with cycling. Uh, you know, we, I, I had a problem with the bike. I've done a bit of work on that. I've fitted what they call clipless pedals. They're not. But oh, I see your post about that the other day. Did you have a fall the first time? I've had were... several falls. Um, I remember what, just jumping about because I, like yourself, I'm a keen fitness enthusiast. Not so much now because of time-wise. But I remember once I was in Chatham, um, which is a town local to us. First time out on clipless pedals was on a really busy roundabout. I had to stop, couldn't unclear and literally fell in just the middle sideways, of yeah. <laughs> Literally, you're attached to the bike. You can't get off. And literally fell in the How someone didn't run me over, I don't know. So I'm aware of the dangers that yeah. can be presented. I've decided until I'm a lot more comfortable with it, I'm not going to take the journeys that I was doing on yeah. it because they, they are South London and mm. you can imagine what the traffic's like. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I've fitted them. I've got, I've put some aero bars on it um, and it's, it's only a, a road bike. It's not a fancy one or anything like that. It, um, I bought it off a friend who bought it from Halfords. Yep. So it's not a, fa a particularly fancy one, reasonably heavy frame. But the difference the aero bars make is phenomenal. Yeah. You, you know, going into a headwind, you get down on the bars and I can overtake people because their body is, is the sail area. So, yeah, if so. you think the most un-aerodynamic un thing on a bike is the person riding it. So, yeah. <laughs> you, know. the, you mentioned about your fitness journey there and you yep. document that on your social stuff mm -hmm. as well. How important is your fitness journey to you? And how, because... I think there's some great correlation between sports, fitness, and business. Um, you know, effectively, you get out what you put in. It's good for discipline and things like that. And you, and you're, you still do lots of fitness, which is fantastic to see. Um, how important is that 
in your business career and your life in general? I think there, there are several things with, with that. So I, I've done sports since I was at school. So I played rugby, raced motorbikes and all of those sorts of things. I think the most important thing it, le- it teaches you to do is learn to lose. Uh, but then for whatever sport you do, so I mentioned I raced motorbikes. Um, I, when I first started doing it, I was working for someone uh, and he said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to be the British, Master- British Grass Track Champion. He said, you'll never do that. You haven't got the commitment. Mm. Five years later, I was British Clubman's grass track champion. So, it, and it took a lot of effort. Yeah, you know, it took commitment. Um, we did quite well in the southeast. They call it, they they break the areas down by centres. They call it so south southeast and centre. We did quite well. We were doing quite a lot of winning. But when we went out of centre, we didn't. So what we had to do was go and race out of centre to learn how to beat the other people. Yep. Sure, and that's what we did. Yeah, uh, and then so. It's with every every sport, they, it never stops. So you've always got to maintain your fitness, your, your technique, whatever you, it, it is you, you're doing. So you, you've always got to work at it. And it's the same plan if you're doing a sport or if you're doing working in business. I'd say, I mentioned I, I was disappointed with the, the triathlon. So I evaluated what I needed to do to put what it right. What was you disappointed about the times? Uh, I was disappointed about the swim. Yeah. It took a lot longer than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um the bike, I just had problems with the bike. Uh, literally, I, I got into transition and the back tyre was flat. So, um, and the guy that I bought the bike off had another bike there and we swapped bikes, but it, it added to my time. Sure, yeah. um, and then the run, I was carrying an injury. Okay. So um, I was three minutes slower than I would normally be on the run. So this year, I'm hopeful that by the time I get there, I won't have any of those yeah. things and I can just improve in time. Yeah. What do you think the biggest crossover between sport and business is? Do you think it's just that consistency and that hard work that you, we come back to several times during our chat? I think, I think it's the commitment. So you, 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 know, you, you evaluate a situation, something goes wrong, you look at what you've done, what can be done to improve it, and then you go again. Yeah. Um, never give up. Unless it's a complete waste of time. And sometimes you need someone to tell you that. But if you can improve what you're doing, then keep going, keep going. I'm, I'm a bit like a terrier with a, with a bone. Yeah. I will never give up until someone says stop. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic <laughs> piece of advice. Jumping back to the cleaning industry, and we spoke about this before, and this will be, we're, we're going to close, close up soon. What can the industry do to be better? Because... I think we're a little bit of a closed shop. I mentioned to this off off camera. Um, what do you think the industry as a collective, what do we need to do to be better and get our name out there more, demonstrate our value more than we do currently? I think we, we've already touched on it. So more of us need to do what we do. More of us need to talk about what we do and and expand on, on why we do it. Yep. Um, there are some sensitivities around it. We all know that, you know, contractually, you, you've got places you go to that you can't put on camera. I have, um, I have yeah. Yeah, and, and we've, I'm, I'm working in, I've worked in places where they say don't want anything on yep. social media. Um, but there's a lot of things that we can, tr- can contribute to it just to raise interest. The technology, as, as I say, fascinates me, but I, I can't see why it doesn't fascinate other people as well. And pro- possibly that's because of the way it's sold. Because okay. the the salespeople will sell you on the technical benefits to you, yeah, they won't necessarily understand that someone else might be interested in it, or it might be just the result. This is a machine. Look at it; it's wonderful, isn't it? Will you buy it? Yeah. 
when I say, oh, hang on a minute, there's another machine that will do just as good a job and it's more versatile. Yeah. So then you, you, I think that's where, where people need to be a bit better educated. They, they need to, it's not about an academic career. Um, that said, I'm a chartered environmental cleaner. So the Worshipful Company of Environmental Cleaners has a program where you can become a chartered environmental cleaner. Um, I found it quite hard, if I'm honest, because I'm not an academic. Yeah, That doesn't mean I don't know anything. It just sure. means that I don't study that. I study what I need to know. Well, some people learn better by doing, by application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And, and certainly that, that's, that was my journey, but I'm proud to be a, a chartered environmental cleaner because it gives me that credibility that I wouldn't have got yep. if I didn't have the qualification. But I think that's a good start. I think Bix to a certain extent have lost their way. I would agree. Because they are very much about the training programs rather than the training benefit. Yeah. And when I joined Bix, it was very much about the benefits and learning how to do the tasks so that you could then develop that. So if we take a simple thing like mopping a floor, the technology since I was, I took my CPDs, sorry, COPs, um, was very much dolly mops and Kentucky mops. Yep. Now we've got flat mopping systems, we've got bucketless mopping, mopping, mopping systems, we've got microfiber systems, and there's a whole plethora of different make, ways of doing things that can lead into improving productivities and the benefits of the user. Um, and because people don't know that, they all fall back to the old technologies and the mop and bucket. Yep. And I, I just think that, we can do more as an industry and it's not necessarily an academic thing because most of the people, possibly yourself included, haven't come from an academic no. background. And so there is an opportunity for people that haven't got the academic programming to do things. I do think that the bigger companies with their um, graduate programs can sometimes stall that yep. because you bring someone in who's come as fresh out of university they come in at a management level, they go up the chain, and the poor person that's worked for 20 years and is just knocking on that level gets pushed back down again, yeah. and then they get despondent. Yeah. So I yeah. think that development right from the, the floor cleaning operative up, one of the people I'm working with at the moment started as a cleaning operative, and she's now the account manager. Yeah, that's how I started, and I think that's the best way, to yeah. be honest, you know, because I think it's an industry where you need to have that operational nows. I mean, we spoke about again off camera, um, you know, the dis disparity between sales who don't necessarily have any operational experience selling a contract that they don't really know what it takes to deliver. Mm -hmm. So you need to have that too. And that, I agree with you. That's definitely something we could do yeah. better as, as an industry. It, it's helped me immensely. Um, when I went, was working with Carillion, I worked on a, a project to, for a bid for a Hestia project, which was the um, retail sales and leisure for military bases, huge, huge organ, um, operations, multi-million pounds set up, I think possibly a billion pounds set up. Um, we were successful winning three regions. But the real thing for me is that I really had to get a grip on productivity. And this is where all the, the sales people work is on the productivity. They, they try and increase the productivity to bring the, the, um, the, the staffing levels down yeah. when actually you need the technology to back that up. Yeah. So if you're still, if, you, if you're working on, 
let's say, for example, 350 square metres an hour, and you increase that to 400, what are you going to do? What technology are you going to implement that's going to mean that you don't need to reduce your staffing levels? Because you still need people to operate it. Yeah. And you're still going to have to pay those. The, the, the employees is the biggest expense that you'll have. Of course. So to be able to say, well, we're going to maintain staffing levels, but we're going to increase productivity by putting backpack vacuum cleaners, putting in some robotized equipment, um, possibly, bringing in different technologies. So contra-rotating brush floor cleaning machines, they can do a lot more than just clean a hard floor. Yeah. So do I need to spend out on two or three machines or can I bring one machine in that will do all three jobs? And that's where I think the benefits yeah, can say, come. And I think, you know, getting away from that, well, we've made a productivity increase. Well, what we'll do, we'll use that to reduce the hours or whatever it may mm. be. I think that's a common mistake yeah. that people fall in and that we need to, to get better at. So one of the parting questions that we always ask all of our guests is, if there's anyone that's considering going into the industry, the cleaning industry specifically, soft services and business in general, what is the one piece of advice that you would give our audience to always remember? Difficult question. I think... Don't want to make it too easy for you, Adam. Well, uh, there's a a saying, customer's always right. The customer is not always right, but you have to give them the benefit of thinking that they're right Mm -hmm. and then say to them or or introduce why they're not right. But just to to take offence or, you know, be worried about um, something that someone says because some of these people are in high-pressure jobs and they're always going to point the finger at the the lowest denominator. Who is generally the cleaning operative? Um, it, it niggles me that cleaning and security people, fingers are always pointed at those, and yet they're probably the most honest and responsible people in the country. So, uh, you know, there are the bad apples, but they're not generally at that level. Yeah. Um, but I think for someone getting into the industry is em- embrace the, the industry, learn the technology, learn how to be a manager. You won't know it all. I don't know it all. Um, I, I never consider myself to be an expert. I'm a specialist, certainly. There's always something to learn. I will never be an expert. Yeah. I mean, that's a great parting comment for sure. And the customer is not always right. I would totally agree. Although sometimes we have to give them the illusion that they are or educate them, like you say, yeah. rightly so. Yeah. Um, thank you to Adam for coming on Welcome. the show. Some real nuggets of wisdom there. Adam, where can people, if they wanted to get hold of you, where can they find you on social media, website, if you have one, if you just let the guest right. know? So uh, my, my big promotional thing is LinkedIn. So look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, and I've got a website. It's www.softservices.solution. Sorry, try that again. www.softservices.solution.services. Soft service solutions. No dot s. Co- dot co. Dot uk. No s in the middle. No we'll, second. We'll s. put all the links down in yeah. the description. Yeah. So that hey guys, if you wanted to get hold of yeah. Adam. To discuss anything with him, you can. Adam, again, thank you for coming on the show today. Right. I say okay. some real great wisdom there, especially with the vast amount of knowledge you've got in our industry. That wraps up another episode, guys. A fantastic episode. Thoroughly enjoyed that. As always, with all of our social channels, make sure you're subscribing and subscribing on all of your favorite podcast platforms, whatever that may be. The show is gathering real pace now. We're getting around 40,000 unique eyes on of our on our content every month now it's really picking up and we appreciate support so make sure you continue to do that and if you have time leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform thanks for checking in and i'll see you in the next couple of weeks with another guest